the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would all those up through the 12th grade please come forward. Good morning. Hi, guys. Thank you for coming. Thank you all for coming up. Anybody here ever play golf? Yeah. Yeah? Not putt-putt. I'm talking about on a golf course, on a, and you hit the ball way down there, right? You do? Anybody over here? Yeah, I did it last, I did it last week Friday. You did it last week Friday? Yeah. How'd you do? Okay, okay. I like to play golf. In fact, let me tell you a story. My, one of my best shots ever. 486 yard par five, right? Like that's 4.8 times the size of a football field, right? So I get my driver and I hit it down the fairway right in the middle and I was hoping for a hole in one, right? <laughs> but I can't hit it that far. So I hit it about 230 yards. And, and guess what happened? Guess what happened next? There was a squirrel running on the fairway, and he started playing with the ball and kept pushing it up further and further and further, about another 20, 30 yards. And there's a hawk flying around. He saw that squirrel. He was going for that squirrel. So he goes down and grabs that squirrel, but he misses, and he picks up the ball. And he starts heading right toward the green, right where the hole is. And he drops the ball right by the hole about that far. And there's a centipede coming along. <laughs> and the centipede just happens to hit the ball. And it goes in the hole. I had a hole in one. 486 yards. That's quite a story, isn't it? Do you, do you believe it? Who no, said something? I don't. You don't. You don't believe that? Nope. Well, I want you to know. Here's what I want you to understand from that. That's how Thomas the Apostle felt that, that evening. Because that morning, Jesus rose from the dead. And that evening, all the apostles were in the upper room, but Thomas wasn't there. And while they were in the upper room, and when Thomas wasn't there, Jesus came through the doors, and he appeared to them, and they saw him, and they believed that he had resurrected from the dead. But Thomas wasn't there. And so when they told Thomas, he said, no, that's no way. That's not true. Don't tell me a story like that. I know nobody rises from the dead like that. And the next week, they were in the same upper room, all of them, and Thomas was with them, and Jesus came to them, and he walked through the door, through the wall, however he got there. He didn't open the door and come in because it was locked. But he came in, and Thomas saw him, and Thomas believed. Now, that story's true. My story's not true. Ah, you got me. You got me. 
I just made up my story to help you understand the story of Thomas. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty good. I could have got that in two shots, right? But <laughs> no, I couldn't have. But, but Thomas, he saw something miraculous. And because Jesus showed himself to the apostles and then to Thomas and then to lots of others according to the Bible and that 40-day period that he was on the earth, he showed himself in his resurrected body to all these wonderful disciples of Christ. And today we see Christ risen, don't we? Maybe not like in the upper room, but we see Christ and experience Christ in lots of wonderful ways. When we hear the Bible read, we, hear, we, we understand about Christ. And when we receive the, the bread and the wine, which we believe is the real presence of Jesus, when we receive Jesus into our hands, there, there he is. He's right there again, and he comes into our bodies in this wonderful spiritual way. And when we look at one another and we talk to one another as Christians, we have faith that Christ is right here because when two or three are gathered together, I will be in the midst of you, he tells us. So he's here right now. We just don't see him the way Thomas saw him that second week or the apostles saw him that first Easter night. So believe. Don't believe my golf story. I do love to play golf, but don't believe my golf story. But believe that the apostles saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Okay? All right? All right. Thank you all for coming up. Go get a packet from, I can't see who's over there. Somebody. Oh, Mr. Nick over there. Get a packet from Mr. Nick. He can color. And Deacon Jennifer's going to preach. Thank you, Connor. Rats. Now I'm going to have to check your scorecard as well as ours. <laughs> Good morning. The mystery of the disappearing corpse still remained unsolved. The story of the gardener had been told and retold by Mary Magdalene countless times and was still questionable. The two disciples had returned running from Emmaus with an even bigger story. They had talked and sat at table with Jesus. What was going on? What were the followers of the now dead man from Galilee supposed to make of all this? The ragtag disciples of Jesus felt even more ragtag than before. They had had visions of being on the road with the rabbi, gathering crowds for his sermons, lining them up for healings, learning more and more as they went along. They hadn't seen the arrest coming, though they had argued with Jesus about his need to be more careful many times. And now, in three days, the impossible had swallowed them up. There was no explanation that made sense to the average mind. Their master had been tried, crucified, buried, and then spirited away before they had a chance to blink. So they gathered with each other in the upper room once again, minus two. 
Judas, who had hung himself out of guilt, and Thomas, who had gone AWOL. It was more than their hearts could bear. As I prepared for this sermon, I couldn't help but wonder what was going on in the minds of these disciples. The two encounters with Jesus that Mary and the Emmaus disciples had told them sounded incredible. In fact, according to St. Mark's Gospel, the apostles would not believe it. But why would they lie? John had gone to the tomb and believed something, but it hadn't quite gelled yet. Peter refused to put anything to words yet. He was still reeling from his foretold denial. No, denials. How could he have done that? He was crushed already. Then there were the words that Jesus had left them with before that terrible night he was arrested. He had said so many things at dinner that night. What had he said? Now I am going to him who sent me. And very truly I tell you it is for your good that I am going away. And I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. What did all of that mean? If he was going to the Father, then what did that mean for the ministry? They weren't ready yet. Surely he could see that. How the apostles must have turned those last words from the supper over and over and over in their minds again, trying to understand what Jesus meant. There was no strategy talk. There was no after Jesus leaves plan in place. What were they supposed to do now? How could this have happened? I wonder if they felt the despair of being abandoned. Oscar Wilde wrote of this despair in a ballad. He said, we did not dare to breathe a prayer or give our anguish scope. Something was dead inside each one of us and what was dead was hope. What had seemed like a win-win situation, I mean, after all, this was the Messiah. He had purposely brought some of this down on himself to poke at the Pharisees. Surely he knew they would try to stop him, and surely he would have thought all this out. But what had seemed like a win-win was now a failed mission, wasn't it? Hope wasn't what they were feeling that night more like abandonment or dread. Surely we have had moments like that. We thought we knew what the plan was, and then things fell apart, and we were left broken and confused. I thought I knew what God wanted me to do. I thought I had it right. Where did I go wrong? What do I do now? Have you ever felt that? Thank God that Jesus did not leave him, them in that place. How marvelous is our Savior that he came to them in the midst of their despair and brought them hope by his very breath. The dark cloud lifted and what now stirred in their hearts was blessed relief. God was with them. He came and stood in front of them, scars and all, to say, 
take heart, be of good cheer, peace. Just as God had said to Joshua in the Old Testament and to others so many times, take courage, do not be afraid. After this, Peter would be able to encourage his fellow Jews who had come to faith in Christ, and he could speak to them of this hope. Many had lost their land, their livelihood, their families, because of their belief in Christ. Peter spoke to them of the hope of a new inheritance, a new family. He was able to build their faith through this hope. He was able to speak to them of strength given through the Spirit to endure the trials of persecution. Jesus does not leave us in that dark place either. He holds out hope for us. While we have nothing to save ourselves with, he in his mercy gives us all that we need. When we are in the midst of despair and defeat, our own inability to act is canceled out by God's mercy, bringing us hope. When we are weak, we can rejoice that he is not. When we feel unworthy, we can praise the one who is most worthy. And while we may bring nothing to the table, we can be glad that our God freely gives us all that we lack. This is the truth taken from the upper room that night. Our God never leaves us without hope. Our God never, never, never leaves us without hope. Which brings us to Thomas, doubting Thomas, shaky faith Thomas, our brother in spirit Thomas. Thomas, who had decided for some unknown reason that he could not, would not be in that room that night. Thomas, who had once been willing to go with Jesus into Jerusalem, that we may die with him. Thomas, who had left the cross in despair and was lingering still in that dark place. Thomas, who would not be consoled by anything that the others tried to tell him. Hear him and the anguish in his voice. Enough. Unless I can see the nail marks, unless I can put my hand into that side wound, I will not believe. What a struggle he had going on within himself. Such an intense love for Jesus, crippled by such an overwhelming despondency perhaps even fear of being wrong about him. That feeling of leaving oneself open only to be hurt again. He wasn't going to go there. He couldn't. Much like when we pray and pray for a miracle or for resolution to our trial and there's only silence. How can we continue to put ourselves in that place? What is there to help us? 
Thank God he did not leave Thomas in that place. Even as Thomas stubbornly refused to believe, Jesus came to him, offering him the proof he needed. He didn't admonish him. He just sweetly offered what Thomas had to have. I don't think Thomas even had to touch Jesus at that moment. He breathed in the Holy Spirit and he believed. Can we relate to that? Can we relate as Jesus tells him that those who come after and believe without this proof are blessed? Again, I go back to the first epistle of Peter. Neither those first believers nor we who are down the road a ways from the resurrection have the benefit of a personal, physical encounter with Jesus. It's hard when our prayers seem to go unanswered. Our spirits languish. Our faith begins to shake. That's when we must bring to mind the hope given to us through the Spirit of God. We remember the promises made to us by Jesus. We are preserved by God as inheritors of those promises. But like Thomas, that can be hard to do in isolation. We're not strong enough sometimes to take in what Jesus offers and move forward. That's when we need others to come alongside and repeat to us again and again, nothing is stronger than our God. Not fear, not famine, not sickness, not persecution. And though in this world we may suffer grief in all kinds of trials, we rejoice that our inheritance is shielded by the almighty power of God. Thomas learned the need for community the hard way. We can benefit from his lesson by not repeating it. Trials are not in our lives to make or break us. God isn't out to punish us or to crush us. Peter tells us that trials have come so that we may know our faith is genuine of greater worth than gold. Because unlike gold, which diminishes as it is purified, our faith improves and multiplies through fire. Then our faith can give us comfort. Our faith will give God glory. And our faith will benefit others. As long as we can remember that God walks with us through those trials, giving us strength to endure and hope to overcome, we can endure. The apostles grew during this short season with the risen Christ. They saw with new eyes. They listened with new ears. And they went out and boldly proclaimed all they had seen and heard. And the rest, as they say, is history. So here we are. We celebrate another Easter season. We delight in the hallelujahs that we can say once again. We pour out songs of praise that speak of the immeasurable love that defeated death. We give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ who has taken away our sins and clothed us in his righteousness. We are thankful to our Father in heaven. Perhaps not so much for the trials which come our way, 
but for the mercy which he extends to us and the grace he holds out for us as we go through those trials. We understand that our lives here are but a brief passing through on our way home. And like the apostles, we cherish the hope that has been poured out on us. So I pray for all of us that the joy of Easter may sustain us, not just at this time, but throughout all our years, that we will always be able to say, as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. Amen.